You're listening to Don't Mind the Gap, the future of real estate investing. My name is Emra Al-Kirwi and I will be your host in this podcast series where we will meet world-class real estate professionals and get insights into the tech side of real estate. We will learn how to combine traditional knowledge with new ways to develop real estate and invest in it. The short-term lending market is stronger than ever. So I met one of the world's most interesting entrepreneurs in this field, Guy Westlake, founder of Lavanda, a business-to-business short-term rental marketplace operating globally. We will dig into how Airbnb led them to start the company, the low level of technology adoption and regulatory manners in this field, how they managed to attract institutional investors and their recent Series A round. Guy will share his best strategy advice on how to start a tech company and what not to spend money on, And to all of you short-term rental operators, an invitation to a global membership where they share hands-on information, best practices, and other tools to strengthen your local business. Enjoy. Hi, Guy, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Can you please tell us about yourself and Lavanda? Sure. So my name is Guy Westlake. I'm founder and chairman of Lavanda. I started Lavanda in 2014. We've had a crazy story where we started out as a laundry business. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Prior to Lavanda... I was one of the uh, early employees at a company called Shuttle, and we grew that business, very different business, and eventually exited it to eBay in 2013. So Lavanda is the second business that I've started um, working on from scratch. And Lavanda, very briefly, we are a SaaS platform, a technology platform that allows institutional landlords and property managers to tap into short-term rentals and medium-term rentals and manage those operations and grow them. Interesting. How did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, Lavanda is definitely a business that was born out of our own experience. So as I said, (laughs) we started out as a laundry business. And the reason for that is uh, Shuttle, a previous business, was around providing on-demand logistics solutions to retailers. So I kind of came out of that feeling I knew something about on-demand logistics, probably mistakenly. And my wife, who who then was running uh, a bunch of laundry brands globally, she said to me, Guy, please, whatever you do, don't do another delivery business. The dinner party conversation is just too dull. So I said, well, what should I do? And she goes, well, how about a laundry business, an on-demand laundry business? And I thought, that's a great idea. Um, So we started that, or I started that. My kind of curiosity got better at me. And very quickly, within a matter of months, we realized that the majority of our customers were short-term rental operators and hosts, Airbnb hosts. And we honed in on that audience to find out what their real pain points were. And it was very clear upon looking at those businesses in a bit more detail. There were a number of things that we felt were problems that, that were worthy of solving. One was there was a very low level of technology adoption within these businesses, like very low. Two is that a lot of these businesses were actually built on very poor, weak foundations. A lot of them were illegitimate. They were in breach themselves of of regulatory limits. And more importantly, I guess one of the biggest uh, learnings was a lot of the hosts who were renting out their properties were, in fact, not the owner of those properties. They were tenants who were subletting and were categorically in breach of the tenancy agreements. So in all of this, there was a number of problems that needed solving, and we felt we had a bit of a solution, and Lavanda was born. Mm. Um, And that was, yeah, in early 2015. All right. We will ask you more about your journey during this talk. Who are your customers uh, today? So we operate a business with two separate go-to-market strategies. Now, the reason for that is we are a two-sided marketplace, essentially. One audience is 
I call them institutional landlords, landlords with property, uh, residential property portfolios, portfolio landlords. And we separate that audience into two specific verticals. So we have multifamily landlords as one customer segment, and then we have student landlords, student housing, as a separate segment. And we enable those landlords with those asset classes to tap into a more diverse range of rental options. So alongside their typical long-term rental channels, we give them like hassle-free access to short and medium-term rental channels through our technology platform. Mm. So that's the sort of the, the demand side of our marketplace. And then on the supply side, we have a completely separate go-to-market, which is basically engaging property managers. So these are short-term rental operators specifically, and we provide them with a range of solutions they can uh, profit from. And we segment that, that audience again into two different verticals. One is vacation rental managers, and the other is service department operators. And we provide them with the technology essentially to run their business, but they can also tap into growth opportunities within our marketplace. As a landlord or asset manager, how does the service work? If we dive into technology and, and how the service actually works. Sure. So the way we position Lavanda is, is, I mean, we are, of course, a technology platform, but it's really about the problems that we solve for our customers. So looking at the landlord side, the technology is just an enabler. The solution we offer them is currently across their portfolios, there is room for optimization, right? There are units which are either void or underperforming due to rental market conditions. And we provide them with a set of tools that allows them, first of all, to understand that underperformance, and secondly, to remedy it, okay? And remedy it through occupying vacant units with high-yielding short-term guests. And we do this at a multinational level, so having enabling them to apply consistent, coherent strategies across a diverse, internationally spread property portfolio. Mm. Interesting. What's the end user perspective as a tenant? And what's your opinion on increasing rent levels in several European cities, uh, forcing locals to move out from the CBD areas? Yeah, it's a really, really good question and probably one in a bunch of, I'll tackle it in a, in a number of, of ways. So first of all, the problem of increasing rents is one that we believe we solve, okay? It's a really important part of our solution. So as a landlord, you occupy your, let's say, multifamily or your student building with long-term residents. By offering them the ability to sublet, so to Airbnb themselves, right, but in a way that is legitimate, in a way that is, is actually controlled by the landlord and insured rather than outside of their control. Insured actually, by you. So insured by our platform, yes. By your platform, yeah. Yes, absolutely. But most importantly, by offering them that option, that amenity, they're actually able to reduce their cost of living. Okay, so we're about actually enabling tenants to reduce their cost of living whilst at the same time not eroding value for the landlord. Okay, that's super important. That's actually a core part of our solution. Now, with regards to driving people out of the hearts of cities, city centers, there's a number of phenomena that we see. One is obviously, you know, if you are opening up access to short-term rental accommodation in city centers, you're obviously bringing, inviting, you know, high spending footfall into those centers. Actually, what we see as a major trend that we enable is if you follow the money in residential, right, where all of the, the multifamily buildings, the student buildings are happening is, is on the fringes and outskirts of major conurbations, right? 
And actually, when these communities are developed, they're developed in typically in areas where typically, you know, the cost of the land is affordable and there's opportunity to create value by the developer, right? So they're typically not in the areas which are in high demand and very expensive. So a lot of the time, our technology is enabling these communities to thrive and bringing all of this high spending business and tourist footfall into those peripheral you know, economies and helping redevelop areas of cities, areas of towns that are looking for development, right? And all of that money goes directly into those local economies mm. um, to the benefit of local retailers and local trade. So our kind of approach to the market is very much around reducing the cost of living for residents by enabling developers to create better value propositions for emerging communities rather than developed communities in the center of town, and for accelerating the development of those peripheral economies to the major cities. And that's the trend that we see going forward. Very good answer. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> if we look at the business itself that you've uh, created and, and developed, you've gone through uh, seed and Series A funding rounds. Can you please take us through your journey from an early startup to the stage? Sure. So we've been through a number of funding rounds, and most recently our Series A, which is over the summer in August. We've kept our kind of, let's call it, our fundraising journey fairly flexible. So we haven't done lots and lots of formal rounds. We've kind of taken capital as we've needed it. It's all been angel investment to date in a number of rounds. I think prior to this $5 million raise, we've raised about $4 million in total, which is quite a lot of money from angels. We've been very lucky to have some very supportive investors who've stuck with us. And then we, we raised our $5 million round in August. And that was when we felt that we'd really got the business to a point where we were in a position to scale. That funding was really to take our kind of nascent platform, which has been incubated in the UK and been incubated to solve problems for the UK market and was now proving, showing good early traction and give us the funding required to start expanding our focus to the global market. Mm. And actually since, since raising the capital in August, We've now been selling productively into Australia, Middle East, and South America specifically. Mm. How come you chose those areas? Or is that driven by your current customers? Yeah, it's actually been, uh, it's been quite organic, if I'm being totally honest with you. That's mm. where the demand has been. We see there is a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of real estate being built in the Middle East. There's also lots of halo effects from the actors in those markets. There's also a lot of voids, right? Uh, lots of empty real estate, which is obviously a huge opportunity. And there is a booming short-term rental market. So it, these stars all align. Interestingly, also, there's a very mature hospitality industry. We spoke about it, obviously, offline, but you know, our platform is there to enable the kind of the convergence and fusion of the traditional hospitality, real estate, and travel markets. And they are all to a degree mature or evolving in these, in these areas. So we seem to be, you know, there's the right place and the right time. Interestingly, Australia, for example, has a really booming short-term rental market at the moment. Mm. And uh, South America is a great way to actually test. And for, for, there are a number of global players who have serious assets over there. And it's a great kind of way to trial new innovative things without impacting some global portfolios. So um, there's a lot of activity. Mm. You mentioned the five million pounds. Dollars, sorry. Dollars, yeah. sorry. <laughs> How is that amount divided into the actual costs that you will have? Sure. So the biggest pot, if I'm being totally honest, is product and engineering. Mm. So 
We are a modular horizontal technology platform, and we are building that out at some pace. We solve problems for a number of verticals, industry verticals, and we want to run at developing. We're very clear about the product we're developing, and we want to just go and, and, and eat market share. So a lot of the money, the very large majority of it, is going into funding that. To give you an example, we've actually opened up a, a technology hub now in Portugal. So we actually have a, an office in Lisbon where we have engineers, our engineering function, um, which is split between here, Chancery Lane, Central London, where we have core product leadership. And then we have our technology hub of developers uh, and engineers based in Lisbon, mm. which is an interesting cost of the access to, to, to great talent and more cost-effective talent is available over there. And you know, the London market is incredibly competitive. Mm. What advice would you give uh, someone with a business idea or tech idea that's just starting up that don't have those funds, of course? Yeah. Um, what would be a lean way to develop a technology? So first of all, I think it's amazing what you can do these days with off-the-shelf solutions. And I would never run at spending money on software engineering. Um, it's just so expensive, you know, it's, it's like the most expensive form of resource you can tap into. So until you know exactly what you're building, it's been tried and tested, you know, on the cheap, I wouldn't spend money in actually developing a product, you know, other than a, a, you know, a very basic wireframe, because you can just do so much, you know, yourself. I mean, I'm not a software engineer, but, you know, I've, I've probably used everything from Google Apps, right, to other SaaS solutions to hack together products to prove demand and understand the fundamentals of, is there demand for this service or this solution? And can mm. I make my customers happy mm. and stick with me? And I think once you've got answers to those questions, you're then in a position to start investing. Mm. So that'd be the one thing I'd recommend anyone to do is not run into spending money. Good. <laughs> Good advice. What have you mainly learned apart from, <laughs> from this lesson? Some expensive lessons. <laughs> yeah. um, what have I learned? I mean, so much. Uh, I think every day, every week we learn more. I learn more. But um, I guess one of the biggest learnings I think about is, is the importance and the, of talent in a business and always prioritizing talent. How do you prioritize talent? In the Just moment? in terms of never compromising on A, who you're hiring and the quality of experience that, that people have in your organization, right? You know, they are your, your core asset. Your team are your core asset. And great ideas come ten a penny, but actually it's the people that bring the ideas to life is the people who build the business and you never lose sight of that and i think actually never compromise on the people you're hiring and treat them you know with integrity and respect and they'll stay with you and i think that's how great culture is built and i guess it's the importance of of building that culture of the people who define that culture and it's that old it's cliche but it's great people attract great people you know and we're very lucky in lavanda we're very very lucky that we've got an amazing team who are incredibly understanding and patient with my <laughs> with my thinking patterns, mm. but they are the people who make our business, you know, fun and mm. great. And I just think, you know, it's very easy when you're building a startup business, and you know, there's all kinds of challenges uh, floating around every single day, just to lose sight of that, and you can't mm. basically. You founded the company by yourself initially, right? Okay. Did you have any co-founders? I did. I partnered with a, a co-founder who's no longer part of the business, although he remains a very good friend and ally of the business, but for his own reasons, decided to go and do different stuff. Because mm. there are different ways or theories around that. 
Some people say that in today's complex world, you shouldn't start a business completely alone because the challenges you will have to handle are a bit complex. What's your view on that? I don't think like that, actually. I think as, as entrepreneurs maybe get more, more experience and, and, you know, if you're doing your third, fourth, fifth business, and maybe it's, it's an option. But at the beginning, you're, I mean, actually, it's almost the same every business. You're learning so much so quickly, I mean, depending on what, what problem you choose to solve. But learning with somebody else, provided the skill set and, you know, is, is complementary between those people. You know, it might be two, three, four other, other co-founders. I don't know what the, the right number is. But I would always recommend doing it with somebody because you can ask questions. One of the, You get different viewpoints. And actually, I think you actually learn faster. It's very easy when you just, you know, you draw your own conclusions. You live in a little kind of microcosm and you don't have other people challenging you and keeping you on your toes. And I actually think that challenge leads to better outcomes. Obviously, you know, when, you know, you lock horns, but that's healthy. That's part of the process, right? Provided that you have a a strong understanding one of the other and interests that are aligned and that that relationship is strong, that actually works out very well. Mm. If you'd start Lavanda or another business today, how would you do it? Gosh, how would I do it? Well, first Mm. of all, I I wouldn't start another business today. (laughs) I don't have any time. But how would I do it? I've definitely made mistakes and I would do, do things differently. Can you please um, share some of Yeah, sure. No, no, no. First of all, I think there's a great myth in startups in general, which is the myth around success related with raising capital. I think that's a complete fallacy. I think it's a fallacy that's, um, that's almost propagated by venture-backed businesses, right? Great businesses are profitable, first of all, and great business models are inherently profitable. And I think from an entrepreneur's perspective, best value is created through retaining as much ownership of your business as possible for as long as possible. Mm. So I would dispel the myth that, you know, success is linked to how much capital you raise and who you raise it from. Okay. Cause it's easy to get caught up into that. I, I think more naive entrepreneurs fall into that trap. I think, don't get me wrong, that there are some business models that really benefit from venture capital. There is a need in the market that the venture capital investors solve. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's not every business. I mean, it's very easy to read TechCrunch or to read any of these things and think, oh, wow, this is the way the industry works. You know, if I don't raise, you know, $50 million from index, then, you know, frankly, I should pack up and go home. Mm. It's just not the case, right? And I think a lot of people don't realize that it's not the case. Thank you for all the feedback since the launch of this podcast. If you're looking for investment opportunities or if you have a business proposal, don't hesitate to send me a message and I'll refer you to each other. What distinguishes you from your competitors? Well, so Lavanda is a, um, we believe we have quite a, a unique positioning in the market for a number of reasons. One is we are a single platform that offers a holistic solution around short-term rentals. We don't just solve like enable operations for property managers. We don't just kind of optimize assets for landlords. We bring everything under one roof and we make sure that you know, landlords property managers, regulators, tenants, guests, all their interests are aligned and that value is created for each one of those core stakeholders. So we are a holistic and integrated solution in a way that I don't think really exists in the market. If I'm being totally honest, I'm sure I'll be proven wrong. Secondly is we are a pure technology business, right? We don't have on the ground operations. We are not a property manager ourselves. And that is quite distinct from most of the other players in this space. And then I think thirdly is, is, you know, we are from day one, a business that is inherently global in our outlook, right? We're not limited by geography, so to speak. And we look to enable a global ecosystem. Mm. 
and that the platform has been designed with that in mind from its inception. What's your view on uh, Airbnb? Of course, they're focused on B2C, but um, would you say in one way that you're the B2B version of Airbnb? That's a really good, really good question. So first of all, what's my opinion of Airbnb? I think it's an amazing business. <laughs> and they've got an amazing growth story. And it's interesting that you say that, you know, they're B2C. They, they are B2C, but I think Airbnb are rapidly recognizing the opportunity in B2B in terms of engaging and enabling professional hosts, as they call them, or professional property managers, because these guys are essentially, they are the growth engine of Airbnb looking into the future. So with that in mind, you know, Airbnb are, are working on some interesting initiatives to address that market. And you know, we, we hope to be able to work alongside Airbnb in, in doing that. Interestingly, like one of the things on this point, so separate to Lavender, we have actually launched something called the Professional Host Alliance, which is actually a community, an alliance of short-term rental operators globally. So this is everything from vacation rental operators, service department operators, it's uh, you know, small hotel operators coming into a community so that they can share information, share best practice, and actually start developing better tools to enable professional hosts around the world to solve the core challenges that they face. And these are not things around regulatory. These are more th- around, actually, how do I make my business more profitable? How do I grow? How do I assure quality across you know, my property portfolio? Real world problems, which people you know, just don't necessarily know the answers to. Mm. And we're hoping to uh, facilitate the solving of these problems, be the catalyst that enables the industry to professionalize itself faster. Mm. Are you welcoming new members? Absolutely. Always welcoming new members. Professionalhostalliance.com. Just go and register. And we want to build a global membership. We are building a global membership. And it's a for property managers, by property managers community. And we welcome members, obviously, going forward. Mm. And regarding the question of being the B2B equivalent of Airbnb. (laughs) So actually, it's really interesting. So we see ourselves as a B2B short-term rental marketplace. So we're basically allowing institutional landlords themselves, businesses, to tap into guests at scale through short-term rental operators, property managers. Mm. So again, themselves businesses. And we provide the platform and ecosystem to enable that. So yes, we are a B2B short-term rental market. All right, all right. You mentioned that uh, you wouldn't start a new business because I guess Lavanda is too interesting and exciting. (laughs) Too encompassing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But have you spotted any interesting things within tech and and property uh, real estate lately? Like any businesses that are, or ideas that are, that that you see potential in? Yeah, so I guess at Lavanda, we are building technology to enable the convergence of real estate, hospitality, and travel. That's kind of our motivation. We see the definitive trend in the residential globally as being the convergence of these three kind of one separate industries. And so I find businesses that tap into that fascinating. Like that is where value is being created in residential real estate today. Whether they are data plays around pricing and yield optimization, whether they are actually, I mean, plays around enabling operations or actually solutions to managing, you know, field-based workforces that provide an amazing service. All of these things are super interesting. And it's more about the technology that enables this stuff than it is about the, you know, the actual operations themselves. Mm. Do you have any advice for traditional real estate professionals who are not tech savvy? My first piece of advice is don't be scared. 
right? I think there's a lot of um, underconfidence, maybe that's the right word, when it comes to embracing technology. These days, it's entirely commoditized and there is nothing to be scared of. Actually, it's really interesting. The users in prop tech specifically, I think most businesses acknowledge that their users are not deeply comfortable or even technology savvy. And therefore, the user experience around the technology is pretty good on the whole because it has to be to welcome people onto these platforms. So all I'd say is don't be scared of it, look at it and inform it because the technology providers in this space want to provide products that engage this community and they can only do that if their customer audience are speaking with them. So the products are there to be shaped. Um, but I actually think that a lot of the, uh, the technology in real estate, it basically falls into two types. There is data, right, which is of huge value creation. And then there is automation, right? And I think it's broadly into those two categories. Mm. At Lavanda, actually, we, we kind of sit upon both sides. So we take on data and we automate operations. And I think most, most companies sit either in both or, or one of those categories. But to that extent, there's, there's not a lot to, to be afraid of. And actually, there is only upside that I see from technology and real estate because there is only loss if you don't embrace it. Mm. It's probably rather simplistic, oversimplistic, but it's, I think it's probably largely, largely true. Mm. I have some final questions that everyone gets. Mm -hmm. What companies are cutting edge in the prop tech industry, according to you? Gosh. Um, What are so, they doing yeah. differently? So I think, I think data is a really interesting and exciting space. So just aggregating and making available data sources for developers. That's one thing. I think also a lot of the, I don't know enough about it, if I'm being totally honest with you, but the stuff that's happening around construction tech, mm. there are some really sophisticated solutions in that space. And I know that, that people who we work with, there's a huge amount of innovation going on there, which I would like to know more about. Mm. Um, and certainly if I was involved in that part of the value chain, mm. Yeah, that would be a, a massive priority for me. I agree with you regarding the contact or whatever yeah. you want to call it. It's actually a very interesting field, but we've chosen to leave it aside because it's a quite it's large. Quite, yeah, yeah, it's very it's, niche as well. It's niche like, as well, it's, yeah. It's, a high, it's got a high barrier to entry, hasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. exactly. But we acknowledge them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next big thing in real estate and tech? I mean, I probably sound like a broken broken record saying this, but I, I think the next big thing, and it will continue to be the definitive trend for some time to come, is this convergence of hospitality and real estate. I think it's impacting both residential, it's also impacting commercial, and actually the technology platforms that enable this, the data platforms that, that support it, are where it's at, right? And they enable They're unlocking new pockets of value as this industry evolves. Then the technology in the space is defining the shape of residential property going into the future. Mm. I actually mean the shape of it, like, you know, units that are being built that are fundamentally and structurally different to the way they've been built to date mm. in order to better enable multiple use. And the value that's getting, you know, that's coming from these assets is increasing, even though you know, the land is not cheap or growing in value as well. So there's a lot of stuff there, I think, which will keep us all busy for a long time to come. Mm. What skills do you think are important if you want to succeed as an entrepreneur? I think the definitive, I guess it depends on what, what, what type of business you're building because it's very generic, but I would say as a CEO and as a founder, the definitive skills- As a thinking, former CEO. As a former CEO in my case, yes. But I, yeah, oh, you mean in general, sorry. In general, so yeah. yeah in my case, I would say hiring, being able to attract, engage and retain the best talent and pick the best talent, right? And the best talent is not 
you know, the guys with the business schooling and everything else, is the people that are right for your business in the roles that they will be occupying mm. and building a culture around that. I think that is the most valuable skill you can have. And obviously to do that, you need to be, I guess, charismatic. You need to be able to uh, to communicate well and persuade and influence. So there's a whole load of skills that, that, that kind of enable that. Mm. But being able to hire and retain talent, I think is the most valuable thing for a business. And finally, where would you refer people if they'd like to learn more about real estate uh, trends, tech, digitalization, etc.? So there's lots of, lots of I don't know, forums, magazines, whatever you would call them. I've come to the conclusion that actually typical real estate trade press, it's maybe not the best place to go to because actually the interesting, the high innovation, the, the, high, the, the real disruptive innovation is actually less mature than that, you know? And so actually the best way that I find to identify and learn about things is through peer groups. Great example here is a professional host alliance. We've created a peer group so that we can share information amongst you know, like-minded peers of things that are relevant to our industry, of innovations, of news, of developments globally that we can all learn from. And actually having a peer that you trust, who you know is in the same business as you, recommend information um, or, you know, be it vendors, products, you know, whatever it might be, that's a great source that comes from someone who's already tried and tested it with a load of experience behind it. And you can then research it on the back of that. Mm. Whereas you know, typically most sources of information are skin deep, you know, mm. and the people writing about them actually have no real knowledge of the product mm. or indeed their, uh, their potential. So I think depending on how early you want to go in the innovation cycle, there are pockets of information available that are usually behind closed doors. Mm. But my advice to people would be get involved in the communities because that is where great information lies. And then, of course, you've got, you know, the big trade publications, everything else. The one that I particularly like reading, if I'm being totally honest, is I love Skift. I think Skift has a really interesting take. My passion is hospitality and real estate and travel. Mm. And actually, I think there's almost greater vision from the travel and hospitality side than the real estate at present, because that is a thing that's driving, uh, it's pulling the innovation. So Skift is something that I, I, I regularly enjoy reading. Mm, mm. Great advice. Any final words you'd like to wrap mm. this up with? Ah, gosh, okay. I'm always quite happy to talk to people if they've got questions around entrepreneurship and setting up a business. They're always welcome to get in touch with me if I can help. If I can help, I'm more than happy to. Equally, if people are, are ever interested in exploring opportunities around residential real estate, specifically linked to how players can embrace convergence and hospitality and travel, and tap into this, this trend in order to profit. That's something that we have quite a unique insight on. And so be happy to talk about that. And I guess finally, for anyone who's a short-term rental operator, please learn more about Professional Host Alliance because it's a really rapidly growing community, global community. And we look forward to engaging more members and building a really thriving global membership. Excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much.